The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to speak to you. We're going to begin a series tonight on the Great Commission. Actually, I'm going to begin a very long series on evangelism. And uh, tonight we're going to focus, and for the next several weeks, we're going to focus on the Great Commission, which is where evangelism begins. The Great Commission is the foundation of evangelism. It's where it all starts. And and I think we need to really clearly understand uh, what evangelism is by have any clear understanding of the Great Commission itself. So let's look at Matthew chapter 28. We'll begin there at verse 16. We read here, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us, where we can come and be admonished and, and Father, be edified in your word. I pray, Lord, that tonight all that will be said will be said to glorify Christ and to honor you. And I ask that you would give us wisdom as we we hear and as I speak these words. We ask that you would bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move forward this year, one of the areas of ministry that we intend to emphasize more strongly is that of evangelism. In fact, as I mentioned, this area of ministry is going to be uh, launching point, point of going to be the launching point of our new Sunday school program uh, next Sunday, April seventh. Uh, uh, yeah, April seventh. I'm going to begin teaching a series of lessons, and the Sunday school I'll be teaching every other week. Pastor will be uh, fielding a forum class every other week, and th- this is a very subject that I'm going to begin with. So I'm going to begin this series, not on Sunday morning, but I'm going to begin it tonight on a Wednesday evening. Um, Now, the commission given by Christ that we see here in Matthew chapter 28, the commission given by Christ to his disciples was the initiative that led to the spreading of the local church that we see today. At the time that Christ was here on earth, he had a very small church. He had 12 members, and uh, 12 charter members. And so it was a small church, and it was this very incident right here, this very calling together of the apostles and Jesus giving them, issuing them the commission. This was the initiative that's, that led to the spreading of the church uh, and uh, that we see today. Now, co- the word commission is defined as the state of that which is entrusted or the state of being authorized to act or perform. In other words, Christ, by this commission, is entrusting his disciples with the furtherance and continuance of the gospel message. And further than this, he is authorizing or empowering them to perform this work. 
This work of evangelism has now become the responsibility of all the children of God. I'd like for you to consider with me for a moment the magnitude of this, of this task, the magnitude of the Great Commission. It is, in its greatest scope, a global task. The commission that Christ has given us is, is a global task. It, it encompasses every man, every woman, every child in the entire world. So it's not a small task. Uh, so often over the years, I've, I've noticed Christians, they, they, they like the, to hear about the Great Commission. They appreciate the Great Commission, but they don't assume responsibility for it. They don't actually take it into themselves that, hey, that commission that Christ issued applies to me as well as it applies to other people. It's, it's, a, it's a monumental task, what, what, what we're talking about here. We're talking about the commission of the gospel. The great commission of the gospel. The commission of the Lord is that his people would take on this task as a global one, and we do by, 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 by doing what? By sending out missionaries. We support missionaries in as many different countries as we can so that we, and as we sit in Rowan Park, California, can, can be a, a participating part of this global task of, of spreading the gospel. Carrying this gospel, implementing this commission to every creature, one of every, of every nation, of every tribe, and of every kindred. This is the task before us. Now, this commission is more accurately understood when we break it down into its component elements. Much as we would a commission given to a military commander by his superiors, when a military officer receives a commission... He, there are certain things that he has to understand in order to effectively carry out his commission. Things such as mission objective. Well, what's the objective of, of this commission? What's the, what's the mission that you're giving me? Is it to go out and completely wipe out enemy forces? Is it to go out and, and, and act as a policing force and withhold uh, and maintain order and control? Is, what, what is the mission? Is, is it is the, is the objective of this mission to be uh, bringing food and medical supplies and help to, to, to people in areas who have been extremely ravaged? You must, you must understand your mission objective before you take off on a mission. Suppose that you were only being sent to, to give medical aid and help, and you go in there guns blazing. Well, you violated your mission objective. And as Christians, we, we have a mission objective attached to this great commission, and we're going to talk about that, but we need to understand what the objective is. Secondly, we also, also have to understand and define the authorities and the consequences, both positive and negative. You know, when we take actions, when we do things, there are consequences. If I, if I taught our teenagers anything in the... 30-plus years I worked with teenagers. It's this. Every decision you make, everything you say, everything you do bears a consequence. It may be a good consequence or it may be a bad consequence. But nothing we do doesn't affect someone or something else. It, there are consequences for every decision we make. So we must learn to make wise ones. Also, we must understand and identify who falls under this commission. Who this commission affects. Who it applies to. 
What role is given to each individual? We must understand these things if we will adequately be able to carry out any commission given to us. So let us begin this study of the Great Commission tonight by first considering the expectations within the commission. Expectations. Nothing we do in life, nothing we do in life is without expectations. If you don't remember anything else I said tonight, remember that. Everything you do, everything, there are expectations attached to it. For instance, we go to work in the morning. We get up and get dressed and brush our teeth and gargle. We do all those things and we, we get in our cars and we go to work. Why do we go to work? What are the expectations? To get paid, exactly. Right. You, you, you wouldn't go to work every morning if you didn't get paid. Well, in theory, you wouldn't. I do. <laughs> but you wouldn't go to work every morning if you weren't getting paid. You expect that you're going to go to work and that you're going to give your time and your effort and your energy and, and in exchange for that, you're going to get wages and payment so you can go home and take care of your family and help support your church and do all those things. That's an expectation. We marry with expectations. Often those expectations are shot down out of the air like a German fighter over England during World War II. But we marry with the expectation that we will receive love and companionship through life. How many people do you think would get married if they absolutely, if, and they would get married and say, well, I hope that in four or five years we get divorced. That's what I hope. I'm hoping for that so I can marry again in another four or five years get divorced again. That's not the expectation we have in marriage. But even if it is, it still has, it still, we still have expectations. We make friendships with the expectation that we will, be, we will be blessed by the company of others and that we will enjoy their fellowship through, over time. But as we're talking about these things of expectations, it amazes me that most people do not understand nor believe. Listen to me carefully. Most people... Some of, some, even some in this room, I'm sure, believe that God does not have expectations on you and I. I know we believe this by our inactivity. I know we believe this by the way that we handle the, the, this, this commission of God. Now, this is not preaching about God's expectations upon us personally. Maybe we'll deal with that some other time. I'm not, I'm not dealing with personal expectations. But let me state that he does most definitely, God does most definitely have expectations for you and I concerning our personal walk and testimony in the area of this matter of the Great Commission. He issued the Great Commission with expectations upon his people. So God gave us this commission with expectations. So what what are these expectations? Certainly this is not this is this the few points I'm going to give you don't comprise every possible expectation God had when he when he gave his people the great commission. But I know I know these are at least three of them because they're stated in scripture. First, number one, is that he expects that we will go. 
Sounds simple. In fact, the first, the first word in verse 19 is go. So it's pretty clear that he expects you to go, right? Matthew 28:19. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Jesus commands his disciples to go. And this is because men do not go looking for God. I've been, I've been a Christian, I've been a believer for 33 years. And I've yet to have someone come to me and say, I'm looking for the, for the truth of God. I'm seeking the Lord. I've never had it happen. I've gone to countless thousands and thousands and thousands of doors and knocked on those doors and, 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 and spoken to the people inside the house about the Lord, going and carrying the gospel message to them. But I literally could count, I could count on one finger and I could, I could give one away the number of times someone came to me and said, what must I do to be saved? And it's not impossible. I mean, Paul and Silas, because of their testimony in the Philippian jail, the jailer wanted to know what, they, what, what was going on. So it's possible that, but I, but I guarantee you, before he came to Paul and Silas' cell and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? I guarantee you. He had been preached to numerous times by Paul and Silas in that jail. So even in that, the, the, the coming and asking is the end result of the going by of Paul and Silas. God wants us to go. In Romans 3.11, it says, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Nobody seeks the Lord. Think about this. Did any of the apostles go looking for Jesus? What do we say? How many of you say, yeah, they went looking for Jesus? How many of you say, no, they didn't go looking for Jesus? They didn't go looking for Jesus, did they? No. Not according to the scripture, they didn't. As a matter of fact, Jesus went to each of them and called them. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. Same book. Matthew chapter 4. And look at verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And they said unto him, There's Jesus, let's go after him and follow him. Is that what it says? Maybe in, maybe in one of the newer versions, I don't know, but not in my King James Bible, it doesn't. It says, And he saith unto them, Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. No, they, they didn't. They, they weren't seeking Christ. Christ went to them. Look at verse, then look at 20. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in his ship, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship. And their father and followed him. They, they weren't seeking the Lord. None of, the, none of the apostles sought the Lord. And this was true for all of them except one. Anybody know who that one was? The, the, the original 12 disciples, all of them were, were sought by Jesus, not by themselves. Anybody, there's, there's no reference in Scripture to this one man being called as Judas. That's correct. You don't find any reference in Scripture to Jesus calling Judas and, and telling him to follow him. 
Now, I gave some of you a question for Pastor, didn't I? I told him this is going to feed questions into him, I guarantee you. Men do, men do not and will not seek God. Not natural men. You, me, we are going to have to go to them. And this is what God expects us to do. And further, we have all been given this commission. Not just the pastor or the leaders in the church, not just the Sunday school teachers, not just the deacons. Every one of you sitting in this room have been issued this, have been given this commission. Every child of God has been charged to go. So what's what's our excuse? God said, go. Are you going? We can present all of the all of the beautifully designed excuses we want for not going. The bottom line is God has entrusted us to go. He has empowered us to go. He has authorized us to go. And we must go. God has entrusted his precious gospel to every believer. He has authorized and empowered every believer to carry the gospel to every creature. But more than this, God expects it from you and me. God expects us to go. So that's the first expectation we find in the, in the Great Commission. God expects that he's commanded us to go, so he expects his children are going to obey him and are going to go. But secondly, there's the expectation that when we go, we will preach. Mark sixteen fifteen, and he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What sense would it make it what sense would it make to go if we're not going to go with the intent of preaching the gospel? God has no interest in us just going and and, and, and being friendly and he he does. He he doesn't want us to be friendly, he wants us to be nice, he wants us to smile, and he wants us to, to be a good testimony to our church. But he wants us he, he, what he wants is he wants us to go and preach. Go ye into all the world and preach. This great commission is given with a purpose. As I stated earlier, every commission has an objective. And the same is true of the commission given us by the Lord. The purpose of the commission is to spread the gospel. And this is accomplished by what? Preaching. Romans 10.13, beginning at Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wonderful. Verse 14, How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? It's a natural, natural progression. They're not going to call on the Lord if they never heard him. They're not going to hear about him unless somebody preaches to him. And nobody's going to preach unless somebody goes. And God desires, desires that each of us, he expects that each of us will use our influence with everybody we meet, everybody we know, 
and spread the God, preach the gospel and spread the, the word of God. God could have used any method to accomplish this. He could have, he could have taken any course of action to accomplish this. He could, have, he could have had the birds fly in the air singing glory to God all day long. He could have made dogs talk and come and go to your door and, and tell you about Jesus. He could have done anything he wanted to do. But he chose to save men by the preaching of men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Hey, that, that guy on your job site, Brian talked about witnessing to a co-worker. That, that man on your job site, that, that, that customer that comes to your tire shop, that, that, that person that you, you see in the grocery store, the foolishness of preaching is what God uses to reach men. If we just sit in our offices, if we sit in our houses, if we, if we sit in our cars, and we look at people who are passing us by all, all over the place, and we say, boy, I wonder if they're saved. I sure hope somebody gives them the gospel. But what about you? You're a child of God, right? Are you a child of God? Then, you, then God expects you to preach. Now, ladies, unfortunately, you can't come up here and preach. You could, but you'd have to get past pastor first. You know? <laughs> I understand those little Kentucky guys can put up a good scrap. So you ladies can't walk behind this pulpit and preach. Maybe if it's a ladies meeting, you can. But you can preach to the lady you meet at the store. You can preach to the woman who does your hair. Hey, it's not a dare. Go get your How long did it take to get your hair done? Anybody know? Lady, come on, ladies. Two hours. Two hours. Man, if I, I'd love to have two hours to talk to somebody. When they're totally captivated and cannot get away from me without losing their job. Huh? Guys get, guys get new tires put on your car. And, hey, you know they're going to be there for a while. How long did it take to change a set of tires by the time? There you go, 40 minutes. You've got plenty of time in 40 minutes to to tell someone about the wonderful love of Jesus. Huh? It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Now, some men, some men, people will walk away from that situation and say, man, that's, a, that's one crazy guy, man. They are foolish people. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that because it's the foolishness of preaching that God uses to save. I agree. I agree there are times when we should just go and and just maybe blanket our community with tracts and information about our church. This is not the, the emphasis of our evangelism. This is not the purpose of the Great Commission. The purpose of the Great Commission is not to go out. He didn't say, go ye, in the, go ye into all the world and pass our tracts. He didn't say that. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Please understand, I'm not putting that down. There are times when that's a good thing to do. All the years I ran buses, when we used to go into a new town, that's what we would do. We would, we would just go into that new town, and we, we'd pass our tracks, and we'd talk about our church, and we, we'd give them little invitations to a puppet show in the park. And on that particular Saturday morning, we'd get all the bus captains together, and they'd come to that pub. And Brother Gilbert was a master. He put a sock on his hand, and it became a living being. It was amazing. And we'd have a puppet show. 
And all the kids were there watching the puppet show, and we were talking to the parents that brought the kids to the puppet show. There are times when that kind of, that kind of thing is necessary to bolster ministry, but that's not the main emphasis. We don't want to be the church that passes out tracts. I don't want to be known as that. I don't want people to say, oh, that's the church that passes out all those tracts. I want people to say, oh, that's the church that preaches the gospel. Because that's the Great Commission. Go ye and preach. We're we're to go and preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that is the gospel. Jesus was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, and he rose victorious as our Savior. Now, Satan doesn't mind you going as long as you don't preach the gospel. Satan will say, yeah, go out there and pass out traps. Yeah, go out there and hang stuff on people's door. Just, just don't talk to them. You see, he doesn't want you to tell men that they are sinners. He doesn't want you to tell them that they are going to hell without Christ. He doesn't want you to tell them that Jesus was born without sin and that he lived his life without sin and that he gave up his life in payment for their sin and he rose again from the dead to justify the penalty of their sin and, he, and that he will save them if they only believe. He doesn't want that. He doesn't mind you going. You know, Satan doesn't even mind you being religious. He wants you to be religious. He wants you to go to St. Jennifer of the Holy Order of of women church but he doesn't want you going to a gospel preaching church and he doesn't want you to hear the gospel he doesn't want you to hear the gospel do you hear what I said he doesn't mind people going out all day long and not talking to anyone just, just handing out stuff and that's nothing wrong with that but that's not the great commission listen if that's all you ever do don't, don't, do not think you're fulfilling the great commission You're doing a good thing for your church and you're helping your church, but you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. That needs to be understood by each of us if we're ever going to develop a heart for evangelism, if we're ever going to develop a heart to be a soul winner. We have to understand what soul winning is and what it isn't. So we're to go and we're to preach. And then there's the expectation that we will disciple those that believe. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Matthew 28 and 10. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Do you see that? Teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Listen, after we go and after we preach the gospel, God will save those that he has called into salvation. Not everyone you talk to is going to get saved. Everybody you speak to, as a matter of fact, the vast majority of those you speak to won't, won't, won't get saved. But some will. And those that do are those whom God has called unto salvation. But the commission doesn't stop there. You don't walk out and, and see someone talk to them about the Lord and they, their heart is broken and the Holy Spirit convicts them and, and, and they repent and God converts them. You don't say, okay, great. See you later. 
You don't, you don't walk away from it saying, okay, I fulfilled the commission in this man's life. No, you didn't. You didn't. The commission does not stop there. God expects, he expects that we will make disciples of the souls that we have reached. You see, according to verse 19, the, the commission includes teaching. This truth then makes the Great Commission not only a global work, but it also makes it a lifelong work, an eternal work. I say this because there will always be someone to teach. There will always be someone to encourage. There will always be someone to edify. Until the glorious day when we will dwell in the presence of Christ in heaven, we will have to, someone to teach. So that you see the commission, which includes teaching, which includes discipling believers, you're never going to finish. Ever. So in the commission, the expectation of God is that it's a global work, that we're, we're going to do everything we can to get the gospel to every nation on the earth. And we do that through missions, and we do that uh, by, by, in today's world, we can do it by television preaching. Of course, they're all, most of them are not worth listening to and things, those sorts of things. But it's a global work. And then it's, it's a lifelong work. Until you take your last breath, God expects you to be a disciple unto him and to disciple others unto him. So there are expectations within the Great Commission. And we need, to, we need to understand that and we need to grasp that truth. We need to grasp the truth that God expects us to go and that God expects us to preach and that God expects us to disciple. Now how can you disciple Paul said in the scripture, you have need, when you should be teaching others, you still have need that one teach you. Every one of you in this room should be growing spiritually every day. And every one of us in this room not only should be growing spiritually every day, but we should be teaching the younger Christians, the, the, the other Christians around us. We should be teaching our children. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that further down in this study. But, but the example your children see from you are what they're going to do in the future. And I, I can guarantee you that because I lived it in my life with my father. My father's example made turned me into the person I was. And our examples before other Christians, before our children, before this, the, uh, maybe not even your own children, but the children in this church look at you and they see you. And the expectation of God is that we will set the right example and encourage these children to grow to be the kind of Christians they ought to be. But I have a second point here, and I want to try to get through that tonight. See, that's the, that's the beauty of having a regular class with with uh, that you, you do all in this series because I can stop wherever I feel like stopping <laughs> and we can pick it up next week I love that somebody wants me to stop <laughs> number two I want us to look at the empowering force in the commission the empowering force in the commission in Matthew twenty eight eighteen, Jesus makes a very stern declaration he he came it says in verse 18 and Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power 
Not some power, not most power. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, I've got to stop right here because I just thought about this. I've had, I've had people that actually said, now Jesus didn't have all power until he came out of the tomb. What a heresy, what heresy is that? Jesus always had all power. He laid his power aside while he, while, he laid, while he lived as a man and worked it the same way you and I must work, in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is still God, which is, means that he still had all power. And by the way, do you realize that you have all power too? If you're saved, that is, because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. If you're saved, and the Holy Spirit is God and has all power. So forget Superman. Forget Spider-Man. We got much more power than him. And do you know why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't forget that. It is unlikely that the expectations within a commission will be met without the power or, or the authority to back it up. When a commissioned officer in the military issues or receives an order, it is with the understanding that said order is backed by the Uniform Code of Military Justice. All of you military guys, you know that's called the UCMJ. And failure to obey a lawful order results in st- severe consequences. And this same is true in this matter of the Great Commission. Before Jesus gives them this commission, he reminds them that all power in the universe is his. He alone has the authority to issue this commission. And he alone has the power to effectuate this commission. To paraphrase this passage, Jesus is saying, I have all power in heaven and in earth, therefore I authorize and empower you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every man, teaching and baptizing those that believe and admonishing them to go and continue in this commission. The power of this commission is eternal. It will continue as long as it is necessary until Christ returns to establish his kingdom upon this earth. It will continue. Sometimes we wonder why we do not personally grow in our faith and spirit. We wonder why our church doesn't grow. We wonder why we are losing so many of our young adults after they graduate from high school. And all the while, the false religions of this world are growing in leaps and bounds. Why? Have you ever wondered that? Why? Well, I can give you one reason. It is because, it is because God's children have failed to go. And they fail to preach. And they fail to disciple. We, we haven't taught our children. We haven't taught our kids. We, we justify their behavior by saying, well, it's just the times. That's not you anymore. Quit hiding behind a lie. I was promised I wasn't going to preach. I'm trying to just teach, folks. It's because God's people quit going. It's because God's people are are silent and quit preaching. Even even the pastors around this country, many of them, have quit preaching and gone to meddling. They've become expert salesmen. Selling their belief to their people, but not grounding them in, in the truth, such as we are tonight, that God does expect things from you, 
and it's not all right to fail to do them. He, it's not okay with him. He doesn't understand. He gave his life for you. He expects you to do the things he told you to do. As I stated a few moments ago in the military, failure to, failure to obey a lawful order will result in severe consequences. In fact, to this date, it's still a capital crime punishable by death to willfully disobey a lawful command in the face of battle. If you're given an order on the battlefield and you fail to obey it, that is a capital offense and it is punishable by death. Yet believers all around the globe disobey the Lord concerning his commands to go and to preach and to disciple those that believe. Now we must determine by what authority this commission is given and by what authority we must obey. So allow me to share some thoughts with you as why Jesus has this authority. Jesus has the authority tonight to command us in this commission and expect obedience because, first of all, his sovereignty. He is our God. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20, we read, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, there is such a great misunderstanding of the triune nature of God. And I am not going to attempt in, in this particular study, we may do that at another time, but I'm not going to attempt to tackle that issue tonight. However, the vast majority of Christianity today views Jesus as a separate entity from God. The title he has as Son of God confuses a lot of people. And they think that there are two people. There's God the Father and God the Son. Just like me and my son, or Brian and his sons, or Eric and his boys, or Tabor and his boys. But there is no, there is no separate entity. But this belief, the fact that this is what most people believe, is important to Satan. Why is it important to him? Because he wants to deny Christ as being the one true God. And he wants to deny the worship that belongs to God as being worshiping the one true God. Jesus is God. It was he that created all things, Colossians chapter 1, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him. Who's him? Christ. And for him. And he is before all things. By him all things consist. It is he, Jesus, that will judge all things. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was, not, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. He is the judge of all things. He alone is worthy to receive all of our praise, all of our worship, all of our love, all of our obedience, 
And he alone has the authority to command us. And he alone is worthy of our obedience. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, we read, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So Christ is our sovereign Lord. He is God. Therefore, he has the authority to commission us. But then Jesus has the authority to commission us because of, number two, his substitute as our Savior. In Titus chapter 2, we read from verses 11 through 14, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, listen to this, this is how each of us should live, soberly, which means seriously, not, not, not frivolously, righteously and godly, which means in the spirit and nature of Christ in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous in good works. Remember what we said about being peculiar people? Anybody remember what I appreciate about that? I said there was two things. One is that we are to be strikingly different. Remember that? We're not to conform to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Paul reminds us in Romans that we have, not will have, not can get. He said we have the mind of who? Christ. We are his purchased possession. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, we read that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, that's your soul, unto the praise of his glory. We all understand that with ownership comes authority over the purchased item, right? Everybody understand that? You purchase something, you own it, you have the authority to decide how to use it and what to do with it, as long as it's legal. In fact, we would be deeply incensed if someone claimed authority over our possessions. Well, you belong to Jesus. He purchased you with his blood on Calvary. You are not your own. You do not have the right or the authority to disobey Jesus. I'm so tired of hearing grown Christian people say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. What a pitiful nature that is. Christ has every right to tell you what to do. And he has every right to expect that you're going to believe, obey him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Right there, verse 19, Paul reminds us, we're not our own person. Verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. And by the way, a very costly price. How... Who in this room would be, would be ready to step up and make that pray, pay that cost? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body 
and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, by these truths that we talked about, that he is our sovereign God, that he is our Savior by his substitutionary death, it is by these that Jesus has the power and authority to commission us, and he has the right to expect that we will obey. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the time we had, and I pray that the lesson that was taught would would be meaningful to our hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, endear them in our spirit. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.